Claudine Hemingway is a descendant of famed writer Ernest Hemingway. We bumped into each other at a party and decided to team up and dive deep into French history, but with a twist, by bringing a spotlight to those lesser-known creatives in France. This is History with a Hemingway. I'm back with Claudine Hemingway, and we have another true crime podcast for you today. Today, we're talking about a woman named Violette Mosier, and Claudine is going to give us the lowdown on what this woman did and why she became famous in history. Yeah, this is another one of those good ones, and it's another one we're going to do into two parts, because for these, the ones that we've been doing lately that we've stretched into two parts, it's just because I find so much good information that I just don't, I don't want to make it the cliff version. <laughs> yeah, we need, we need to give you everything. We want to give you everything because some of these stories are so good um, and very, they're just, there's so many twists and turns. It's just, it's great. So we will jump right in to Violette Nozier. She was born in um, 1915 on January 11th in the Nouvelle-sur-Loire area. Um, with a little town and her mother, um, her mother's name was Germaine and Josephine Azar. And they, she met her father. Um, her mother met her father Baptiste in um, Paris in 1913. Um, they, uh, he went work for the railroad and then she ended up later working for the railroad too, but they met in Paris lived in the 12th arrondissement. Um, and then when the, but when they got married, her mother was already four months pregnant. Oh, shame. Scandalous, scandalous. Um, so, but they ended up getting married on August 17th, 1914. So, uh, you know, it was, this was quite some time ago, over a hundred years ago. They, after they were married um, and the war started, they decided to move back to the town that they're both from, Anubis-Sur-Loire, um, during those years during the war. Baptiste became, um, he was still working um, for the railroad, but now he was as, a, as also working as a driver, helping to move uh, troops and equipment during the war. And then his wife, Sherman, she became a mechanic because at that time, you know, all these, you know, the men were being shipped out to the front and so women were filling all these jobs. Uh, so, you know, like the famous Rosie the Riveter uh, back there in the uh, in the um, in the past. It was because they had to fill these jobs because there was no men to do them. So, you know, it was nice. They let women work at that finally by that time. It was about time they let some ladies do some work. I know. I know. Um, so she was ended up she was born in 1915. Um, so just, you know, you could do the math on their, their wedding. And when she was born, um, at the end of the war, they returned back to Paris and they lived in the 12th arrondissement on the Rue de Madagascar in a very, very small two room apartment on the sixth floor. And this is a street in, uh, near the Gare de Lyon. Um, their first signs of trouble for this family came when Violette had to bounce around from school to school. Um, she kept getting kicked out. She was at school in the 12th and she was moved to the fourth. And then she ended up in the sixth at the uh, Fenelon School, where also Simone de Beauvoir was a teacher. Simone de Beauvoir, we did briefly mention her at the end of a podcast one time because I thought about doing a podcast about her because she is one of those women that's highly revered in France um, because she wrote a book about, um, you know, it was called The Other Sex and about feminism. But I decided not to. Because Simone de Beauvoir 
was fired from her job from numerous times working in schools because she kept having relationships with young girls. Uh, yeah, we decided against that one for, I feel like, pretty good reasons. Yeah, yeah. And, and then to make it worse, she would take these young girls and then give them to her partner, Jean, uh, uh, Jean-Paul Sartre, because he liked uh, virgins. Yeah, gross. Yeah, so it makes me sick that she is so revered in France. There is, you know, in Saint-Germain, that's right in front of the Café du Magot, there is a plaque that it's like that is the Place uh, Beauvoir and Sartre because they used to always go to, to, to du Magot. And everybody, that's all anybody, you know, they mention her and her birthday comes up. And I just think it's just horrific. Yeah, it's it's. Yeah, we're going to skip over her. She's right up there. She's just, she's a couple notches under Coco. (laughs) (laughs) On my list. Um, But back to Violet. So these different schools, you know, the Simons, she was, she was a teacher there and Violet was there. She had so many outbursts and she was, uh, was very critical of her classmates. Um, They looked down on her. And so she started making up these big stories about her family because She's going to the school and there is, you know, the people some of the girls at the school had, you know, their family had a little bit more money and she, you know, wasn't dressing. You know, it's the same. You know, it's unfortunately what girls still today have to deal with and kids. Um, But so she would make up these big stories and she'd say her father was like a her father was a, uh, you know, high ranking official president of the railroad. And her mother worked in this, you know, high-end uh, boutique, and she was in charge of all of the sales girls. So she was making all these things up all the time. So, but she, at this time, she met a friend of hers, Madeline Georgette Dupris, and Maddie, as she called her, lived just around the corner from her. And then another um, another y- a gentleman named Jean Guillard. Many of the kids um, at that time were basically kind of, lost during the great war. I mean, we talk about the lost generation. Um, and, but it was also the kids because at that time, you know, this, all this was going on. A lot of times the fathers were off to war. The mothers were doing what they could to just keep food on the table. And so the kids were kind of just like, you know, generations up until maybe the nineties, most kids, like, you know, the parents were like, just go play outside in the woods. <laughs> So they, she was pretty much for a very long time, kind of just, they didn't, and she was an only child. So she was pretty much just kind of left to her own devices. Um, and when the girls were younger, sometimes they were even able to get jobs during that period of time. But at that age, which we've talked about this many times, a woman had two choices, it marriage or motherhood. Um, and that was pretty much it or being a nun. Yeah, not much to go on. So you didn't really get a lot of choices. So, and neither one of these things appealed to her. She started to become very free thinking. And she was a teenager at this point. And she started to figure out because she was telling all the kids at school, all these made up stories, and they were all believing it, that she thought like, oh, well, I could easily do this and manipulate, you know, any situation. So she started to really like, you know, sitting in cafes all day for hours with her friends. She liked clothes. And so she needed money. So at 15 years old, she started to steal things when she needed money. Um, She also maybe dabbled in prostitution a little. Um, She was very selective, though, who she would sleep with. 
because they had to be, um, they had to have a, a lot of money. And then she only would find them in the first and the second, which is where most of the, you know, the businessmen work. Yeah. You got to pick the right clientele for that. Yeah. Job, yeah right? Cause they, you know, there it's all, it, you know, it's also, it's a quiet area in the evening. So she would just, you know, swing down there in the end of the day and didn't have to worry about anybody seeing her. So, but this promiscuity came with her with a, you know, with a downside, of course. Um, it was, she ended up contract, contacting the, uh, the disease of the day, syphilis, oh, <laughs> in April 1932. So she went to a doctor and she went to Dr. Henri Daron, who was no match for her. And she convinced him not to tell her parents. So at home. She was constantly in fights with her parents, uh, questioning everything she was doing, where she was going. Um, she invented a new friend, and this new friend was the sister of the doctor. And so she used this as a cover all the time that she was going off with, you know, her, her, uh, her, this good friend of hers now that, you know, her, she's the sister of a doctor. You could trust me. She's she's just a grown person, but she was spending all of her time just at these bars. Um, a few months later, on December fourteenth, she was arrested for shoplifting. Shoplifting for stealing a dictionary. A dictionary? What? Yeah, I, I guess maybe she wanted to be a smart shop shoplifter. <laughs> so weird. And her parents had at this point had, had enough of it and locked her in the house for days, but. Of course, she was not going to be happy about that. So she snuck out overnight and left a note that she was going to kill herself by jumping in the sin. So, you know, which, you know, we were all teenagers. We were all teenage girls. And whether this was the 80s or the 30s, you all had moments of dramatic episodes. (laughs) (laughs) I don't think the sun was involved in ours, though. No, I don't think so. But, and I don't think like, yeah, I didn't, I wasn't, you know, I, I rode away on my pony when I was like nine years old and I got about a half mile down the road. <laughs> True story. But her parents notified the police and they found her sitting in a bar on the Boulevard Saint-Michel with a friend without a care in the world. That's so funny. So she decided to live after all. Yeah. She decided to live that t- time after that. So her stories and her lies that she was telling were getting taller and taller. Um, She said that her father, um, you know, I said was an executive at the railroad um, and that her mother worked at the Maison Paquin. She was the lead salesperson, but somebody went in there one day and they had never even heard of her. They just, she did not work there. So she just was like, you know, nothing was ever good enough. So she then started to tell, um, tell little stories about making it sound like uh, her father was taking liberty with her friends um, and making comments and saying, oh, well, he did this with, you know, my friend that's the sister of the doctor. And everybody kind of laughed it off, didn't really pay attention to it. But so the syphilis that she had, she didn't treat it. She didn't do anything to, to, you know, treat it. And syphilis at that time was killing people. You know, Manet died of syphilis. Manet's father died of syphilis. Manet's brother died. Like everybody, you either died of tuberculosis or syphilis during a very vast, you know, 30, 40 years in Paris. And so she went back to Dr. Daron. um, And this time she convinced him to write a note to her parents that said that she was still a virgin 
And the only way she was able to catch this virus was from her parents through birth. What? Yeah. So the doc, she actually got this doctor, which it, he, he should be like, you know, whatever, whatever you do with doctors, not, you know, lawyers, you disbar. What do you do with doctors? So he should like, just the fact that this like 15 year old girl <laughs> could tell him this. So on March 19th, 1933, the family went to the hospital where the doctor shared the news. Her parents were so shocked and, of course, embarrassed that they could not believe that this is. There's just no way this could be true. So they ended up um, not even really going through tests at this point. The doctor told them that there was this there's medication they needed to take. So she ended up going and saying she would pick up this medication. So four days later, on March 23rd, she went go. She went to the to the pharmacy picked up um, a bottle of this uh, salmonella sleeping pills, passed them off as a prescription from the doctor saying they were for hereditary syphilis. And so in order to really sell it, she also took them, but she didn't take as many. Oh my so God. she actually like, she like doused her parents with this um, in a, uh, in, in water, she like mixed it up with the water, but, she, and she did too. But again, you know, she took like barely any, um, and then in the middle of the night, her parents woke up because there was banging on the door because the neighbor smelled smoke and she had snuck out of the apartment, but left her parents there and started a fire. Oh my God. It's horrible. <laughs> yeah. So the fire broke out in the kitchen. Um, and so now the parents, they were taken to the hospital, but their lethargic symptoms that they were undergoing because of taking this overdose of sleeping pills was blamed on the smoke, um, that they, you know, it, inhaled. And so then they just basically returned them home the same day. Oh my God, that's insane. <laughs> yeah, I mean, just like this kid is just like this girl is not. <laughs> she's no, like nowadays it's, uh, it, it's, you know, who knows? She'd be, you know, posting crazy things on her Instagram of, you know, her, you know, but somebody hopefully would call the police and say, you're, you're, uh, you know, we're going to arrest you. <laughs> you're but, crazy. So Baptiste and Germain were suspicious that their daughter may have behind been behind this. So they decided they were going to leave Paris um, for a month to visit the uh, Nouvelle-sur-Loire, which is where they were both from, and to go see his father, um, Felix, so her grandfather. Um, his, so he had a, he basically had a very keen eye, and he kind of saw through Violette very quickly. And so he knew that she was trouble, and he didn't believe, he, he pretty much believed that she was behind all of this. Um, but she still managed to sneak out. Her parents ended up coming back to Paris and left her there for for two and a half months. And in that time, she would disappear every single night. Um, there'd be times that she would disappear for days at a time. And then her parents, you know, he, Felix would, her grandfather would contact her parents and tell her. And then somehow she would just magically show up. Um, and then at one point, she decided just to leave altogether and just went back to Paris on her own. And they ended up finding her that she'd been back in Paris for two weeks and just been basically living with her friends. That's so crazy. First, she tries to murder her parents and then she just disappears. Yeah. And then she disappears. So on June 30th, uh, she's back in Paris. And a few days later, she met a young law student named Jean Dobin. 
Um, she was infatuated with this boy. She offered to pay for everything and even gave him money um, that she had been stealing from her parents. And also, again, you know, from uh, the prostitution. Um, on July 2nd, her father was given the honor of conducting the train for the president of France, Albert Lebrun. Uh, and for his service, he was given a raise and a medal and a very nice bonus. Um, a few days later, uh, on the platform of the Gare de Lyon, he fell and injured his leg and landed him in the hospital for well over a month. Wow. Uh, but poor Germain, his wife, was no ma- match for Violette and was now head over heels and who was in head over heels in love with Shaw. Um, and, but John then tells her, I'm going to be leaving. I'm going to the south of France for a couple months to see my family. And she went into like a complete like panic, tried to figure out how she could go with him. She had this brilliant idea that she was going and she offered up, well, why don't we, why don't I go with you? We could drive. And, uh, I know somebody that will give me their Bugatti, like their Italian fancy car (laughs) and so she ended up getting this she said that she could get this car and they would drive down to the south of france and have this very romantic vacation Uh, but how was she going to pay for it so back at home she knew her parents had kept some of this money from the promotion and they even had it in the bank and so she ended up uh figuring out a way to to uh, get a hold of this money. And Jean had no idea about any of this. Jean had no idea what her family situation really was. He just thought she was very nice and was offering to pay for things all the time. But basically, she was just buying his attention to keep to keep him, you know, with her. And so on August 21st, 1933, Violette went to the pharmacy again. This time she purchased three bottles of the Salmonella sleeping pills with a forged uh, prescription from Dr. Deron. Uh, she ground them up. She put them in three separate envelopes. One of the envelopes she marked with a cross. Um, when her parents returned home, um, Violette was away, but the money was missing. When she returned, they had their biggest fight yet. Um, this time they were uh, screaming and they were basically telling her they would kick her, kick her out. Um, but then she ended up mixing these uh, packages with water um, and the one that had the cross was the one she also took. Um, and then she found they was completely harmless. She ended up that they, they were, you know, with the glasses for, um, her parents when they had dinner, um, her father drank all of his, but Joanne thought it was too bitter. And so she only drank part of it. And that's the choice that saved her life. After dinner, her father stumbled around and collapsed on the bed, um, checking in on him. His wife uh, went to go see how he was. She ended up, because she was so out of it, she fell down, she hit her head, and she was knocked unconscious. Um, Violette, at this time, she thought she had succeeded. She took all the money she could find. She quickly snuck out of the house in the middle of the night. For over 48 hours, Violette hit the town, going on a spending spree, buying her friends drinks and anything they wanted. At 1 a.m. on August 23rd, she snuck back into the apartment. She turned on the gas, hoping to create a scene of a double hot suicide. A few hours later, the same neighbor that alerted them of the fire back in March noticed the smell of gas and called the fire department. Upon the arrival, they discovered Baptiste had died and her mother was barely alive and Violette was nowhere to be seen. That neighbor was super helpful. I know. Thankfully for, you know, the, the nosy neighbor that kept checking in on everything that 
they were uh, stayed, you know, saved saved the mother's life at least. But you yeah, have I don't to wait. Would know the story if it wasn't for the neighbor. I know. I mean, they probably would have. That definitely, uh, definitely would not have made it. All right, guys, we're going to have to tune in next week to hear the ending of this story. And don't forget to check out Claudine's website, ClaudineHemingway.com. Thanks for listening today, guys. If you're interested in learning more about Claudine, her tours, history, and the beautiful photographs that she posts all over Instagram, tune into her website, ClaudineHemingway.com.